Welcome to Dayspring Church Online, where we share the message of hope all over the world. Our prayer is that this podcast will help you live a more fulfilling life with God at the center. For more information on how you can take part, visit us at dayspringpc.org. And today we're going to talk about the rapture. And uh, when I've spoken to people about the end of times, the rapture is one of those events that a lot of people are afraid of, that they're, 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 there's a lot of mysticism, there's a lot of fear behind it. And I want to do my best today to remove that fear. I want to do my best to help you see it for the event that it is. And most importantly, here's what's most importantly, okay? For most importantly, for us to know what it means for us, or what should our response be in light of this event? But before we get into the rapture, I want to tell you a joke about the rapture. Is that okay? So I went online to try to find a joke about the rapture, and I couldn't find one. I really couldn't find one, but I found this picture. I want to show it to you. I thought it was funny. Okay, one, two, three. One, two, three. There we go. If you can't think of a rapture joke, don't worry. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) And and if you don't get that, I think by the end of today, you'll get that, okay? Oh, but I actually do have a joke for you. It's not about the rapture, but I do have a joke for you, just because I was in here last Sunday, and and I owe you a joke. Um, A little boy opened the big family Bible, one of those big ones that really... Uh, that, that some people have in their, in their rooms, those really big ones. You don't read it, but you just have it there, right? A little boy opened the big family Bible, and he was fascinated as he fingered through the old pages. Suddenly, something fell out of the Bible. He picked up the object and looked at it. When he saw, what he saw was an old leaf that had been pressed in between the pages. Mom, look at what I found, the boy called out. What do you got there, dear? The mom responded. With astonishment and much wonder, the little voice said, I think it's Adam's underwear. (laughs) Again, if you didn't get that one, Google it. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier today, we're going to continue our series on the messages uh, that we're talking, we're talking about the end. And uh, I think you would agree with me that unquestionably things are going from bad to worse. That things are getting worse and worse every time. And that we are headed towards an inevitable end. Last Sunday, um, maybe after you left church, you went to go turn on your TV to find out that there had been a mass shooting in a church in Texas. And that only adds to the list of things that we've already mentioned in the past, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the the other mass shootings, the stuff that is going on. So in light of of these events, we we wanted to do a series where we talked about what the end of the world is going to be like and what, most importantly, Jesus has to say about the end. Now, now, let me tell you this. This is not a series to scare you. This is not a series to alarm you. This is a series to inform you. And, and, and my desire as a pastor is that you would get serious about life, that you would get serious about your faith, that you would get serious about your purpose, that you would get serious about what you're doing. Because the thing that jumps out at us is that for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, the end is not the end. 
The end is the beginning of what's best to come. The end is not our tragic end. That God in his great mercy has delivered us through the work that his son Jesus Christ did at at the cross. And he's giving us a new beginning. In fact, life is a preparation for that beginning that we get to have in eternity. If you were here two weeks ago, or if you weren't here, we, we spoke about and we said that the end, um, that the events in the end can be broken down into four main phases, into four main events. The first one was the present age. The second one is the tribulation. Um, the third one is the millennium. And the fourth is the new earth and the new heaven. And today, I want to talk about what's going to happen at the end of the present age, at the end of the current time we are in. Next week, we're going to look at the second phase of the tribulation, and we're going to, we're going to start looking at what's going to happen during that time. But what I want to do today is talk to us about the rapture, which I believe ushers the second phase of the end of times. And it is, an event, it is an event that has captured the world's interest for many, many generations. I went on YouTube to try to find a clip of the rapture, and they have so many movies about the rapture on YouTube. You, you can go pick one, and, and I think most of them are, are, are done in a way to scare you. And, and I, I think the only, reason, the, the only reason you should be scared is if, is if you are not secured in, in the love of God for your life. But if you are secured in your love, in your faith, um, that's nothing to fear. And uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about it, and I want to answer three questions. I, I want to answer the question of why we believe in the rapture, and specifically that the rapture is going to happen before the seven years of the tribulation. And then the second, um, the second question I want to answer is what is going to happen in the rapture? I want to tell you two uh, very important things that are going to happen um, in the rapture. And then the third one, what should my response be in light of the two first questions? Can we do that? Are you okay with me? So let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, right there in your outlines. And let's look at how the Apostle Paul speaks about the rapture. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. So, encourage each other with these words. Uh, When you study the rapture, when you study the end of times, specifically when it comes to the rapture, there's three positions. Or there's three uh, thoughts of school. The first thought of school is that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. The the second school of thought or the second uh, belief is that the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, The tribulation is, is, is a period of seven years that is divided in three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of war or chaos. 
And during these seven years, the Antichrist is the one who rules. He's the one that has world order. He's the one that every army and every nation um, submits to. And, and the second school of thought believes that the rapture of the church is going to happen after the first three years and a half of peace. Now, the third school of thought is that the church is not going to be raptured and that it's going to live through the tribulation, but that God is going to protect us, that God is going to watch over us, that God is going to be with us. Now, if you try to look for the word rapture in the Bible, you won't find it. Rapture is a word that, that we use to describe the act of God snatching. And you do find the word snatch or, or to carry away. And it has this idea of a sudden thing. It has this idea of, of almost a last minute in our sense of thinking, not in God's way of thinking, in our sense of thinking, where, where it's a last minute thing that happens and many people are not ready for it. Now, we believe, as a church, we believe that the Lord is going to come for his church before the tribulation begins. We don't, we're not mid-tribulation or post-tribulation. We are pre-tribulation. In other words, we believe that it's going to happen, that we are going to be lifted to be with the Lord before the tribulation begins. And the first question I want to answer is why we believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. And this is important because not only do you need to know your beliefs, but you need to know why you believe what you believe. Okay? And as your pastor, I want you to know. I don't just want you to say, well, my pastor says that Jesus is coming before the tribulation. No, I want you to be the kind of Christian that Paul said, you be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you have. In other words, that if somebody says, hey, you believe the church is going to go through the tribulation? You can say, no, I don't believe. And here's why I don't believe that we are not going to go through the tribulation. Okay, so let me give you um, a couple of reasons why. Now, by the way, before I give you that, the return of Jesus has two parts. Okay, the first is the rapture, which is what we're talking about. And, and the rapture um, gives, um, initiates the uh, tribulation. And the second part of the coming of Jesus is when he comes um, to defeat the Antichrist and, and begins the time of the millennium. Okay, we're going to look at that stuff and I'll explain it to you. And maybe next week I'll bring you a map or something so that you can have a visual of that. Okay, so we're talking about the rapture here. We're not talking about his glorious return where he comes to rule the earth for a thousand years. No, we're talking about his return where he comes for his church. Okay, so the first reason that, that, that we believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation, it's God's track record. Would you fill that in in your outlines? It's God's track record. In the Bible, God always first rescues the just before bringing trial to the wicked. God always rescues the innocent from the guilty. Before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, God rescued Lot and his family. Before the flood, God rescued Noah and his family. During the plagues, when the angel of death came, God made a way 
so that, so that the angel of dead would not sweep through the Hebrews firstborns as it did through the Egyptian firstborns. God always rescues the just from the wicked. And, and we see that throughout the Bible. And the period of the tribulation is a period of trial. It's a period of condemnation. It's a period of, of correction. And our judgment, our sentence was already dealt at the cross. In fact, Romans says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the first reason we believe that as a church, we're not going to be th throughout this great period of pain and suffering is God's track record. Number two, the second reason is that the church is not mentioned during the tribulation. It is the book of Revelation that talks about the events in the end of time. And, and uh, uh, you find the description of the tribulation in, in Revelations 4, or, or correctly said, halfway through chapter 4, all the way to chapter 18. If you want to read about the period of the tribulation, you can read all those chapters. And in those chapters, you will not find the church. The church is not mentioned. The church is mentioned in the first three chapters. In fact, the church is addressed in the first three chapters as the letters are sent to the churches. But not only that, but at the beginning of Revelations chapter 4, um, look at what it says. Now, we believe, um, does anybody know who the author of the book of Revelations is? The Apostle John, right? The, Apostle, the beloved one, okay? We believe that John represents the church. Okay, and when I'm talking about the church, I hope you're not, you're not thinking about this building. Okay? Because we could, we could have had our service outside and we would still be the church. Okay? We're talking about us, the, the, the family of God, the, 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 the corporal body of believers. Okay? We believe that John represents the church in the book of Revelations. And just before the, the, the tribulation starts... Look at what we find in Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. Then, it's right there in your outlines. Look at it with me. Then, as I looked, I saw a door standing uh, open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before. And by the way, that voice that he's referring to is the voice of Jesus. The voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen, what? After this. So John is being invited into heaven, and he's saying, come up. Come up, and I'm going to show you what's going to happen after. So the second reason we believe that the church is not going to be in the tribulation is that the church is not mentioned in the period of the tribulation. And in fact, before the tribulation starts, John is uh, brought up into heaven another reason the third reason why we believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation and this is a big one this is a big one for me is that the holy spirit will be removed is that the holy spirit is going to be removed let, let, let's read that passage together and then i'll explain it to you in second thessalonians 2 6 um 
Paul is, is talking about the church in Thessalonica about uh, the Antichrist because, because they have questions about the Antichrist. And some of them thought that the Antichrist um, had already been revealed. And, and as he's talking to them and he's, he's instructing them about the Antichrist, look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8. He says, and you know what is stopping that man of evil now. Now, that man of evil is an expression, it's a description of the Antichrist, okay? And the Antichrist is going to rule during the tribulation. And you know what is stopping that, that man of evil now. Listen to this. He is being stopped now so that he will appear at the right time. That means God is in control. The devil can try to do what he wants. He can have his own schemes, but God is in control. And you got to know that about your life. God is in control. In fact, if it weren't for God, many of us would not be where we are today. And we are where we are because God is in control. Amen? Amen. Verse 7, it says, the secret power of evil is already working in the world. And we see that today. We see um, this, this spirit of evilness. I mean, um, these mass shooting, these terrorist attacks, they're nothing but a spirit of evil. It's a, and we were talking about this in our small group. Um, this evil has gone from just harming myself to now saying, I want to harm other people with me. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about. He says, the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. The, the Antichrist cannot come out yet, but that spirit that is going to operate in him is already working in the world, and it's getting worse and worse, right? And he says, the secret power of evil is already at work in the world. Listen to this. This is really cool. But there is one who is stopping that secret power of evil, and he will continue to stop it until he is taken out of the way. Then that man of evil will appear. Now, you're probably saying, well, this scripture doesn't tell us who the one is. The one is the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that when we come into faith, that when we place our faith in Jesus, God establishes. In fact, he says that he seals us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the deposit. It's the seal that says, you belong to me. You are my family now. And if the Holy Spirit, in fact, remember that Jesus told his disciples, he says, it's good for you that I leave because if I leave, the counselor won't come. And he, and he told them, it's better that I leave. And we've talked about this in church, right? Like, what could be better than Jesus with us? You know what's better than Jesus with us? God in us. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. And there's no way that God is going to remove his Holy Spirit without us. So when we are removed or when the Holy Spirit is removed, we are removed as well. And for the Antichrist to reveal, the Holy Spirit has to be removed from the earth. And when the Holy Spirit is removed, we will be removed. You, you understand that? Amen? Here's the fourth reason why we believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Revelations 3, 10 through 11 says it so. Look at what Revelations 3, 10 to 11 says. Because you have obeyed my commands to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away 
your crown. Now, let me break down that passage for you so that you know what I mean. The words protect you means take you out of. The words protect here are not a covering in the storm. They're a removal from the storm. And, and another key word there is the word from. It says, I will protect you from the great time of testing. I'm pointing that we will not be in the tribulation. If we were going to be in the tribulation, then it would say, I will protect you in the storm. But it says, I will protect you from the storm. So, so those, are, those are some of the reasons, and there's many more. I could have given you at least another 15 of them. And if you're interested of them, I can. Um, but I just wanted to share a few reasons, um, or at least some strong ones, why we believe that we will not be in the tribulation. Now, let me answer the second question. What is going to happen in the rapture? Because I know you guys have a lot of questions about that. And I want to answer just two of them because I think they're very important for you to know. Number one, you can fill this out in your outline. What's going to happen in the rapture? We are going to meet Jesus in the clouds. We are going to meet Jesus. And if you're not a religious person, you've probably seen these paintings of like people flying up to the air. And I know it sounds like a Disney cartoon. Um, but, but, you know, I said this at the beginning of our first series. I, I, I get it. I get it. Like a lot of this stuff sounds like, like, like all the Disney uh, authors got together and created the, the greatest fantasy in the world. But, but the reason I take this stuff serious is because I take Jesus serious. And he talked about this. He's the one that, that said all this stuff, you know, and because of who Jesus is to me, this stuff is real to me. And, and if he's not serious to you, well, then you're going to look at this stuff and then say, oh, my goodness, where, when are they going to start serving the Kool-Aid, you know? But, but there's no Kool-Aid here. There's no Kool-Aid. So only coffee, but there's nothing in the coffee. What will happen in the rapture? We're going to meet Jesus in the clouds. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says. We, we already read this verse, but let's read it again. It says, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the people who have died and were in Christ will rise first. Now, you're, you're probably thinking, what's going on there? I thought, I thought if you die, you're already with the Lord. You are. When we die, we go to be with God. But it is at the rapture that we are going to receive our bodies. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And if you die before Jesus comes, you get to go be with God. But it isn't until the rapture that our bodies are resurrected and we receive glorified bodies. So that's what that's talking about, okay? It says, and the people who have died and were in Christ will rise first, okay? After that, we who are still alive at that time will be grabbed up with those who have died. We will be taken up in the clouds to meet the Lord, where? In the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. In the rapture, the church meets Jesus in the air. In his glorious return, Jesus literally comes to the earth and everyone sees him. In the rapture, only the church, only those who have placed their faith in Jesus are taken up. 
because of the time of judgment that is going to come upon the world. And Jesus himself is going to descend from heaven. And with a loud voice, we're going to be brought up. Picture this with me. Um, if you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, you know uh, the Lazarus stood outside of uh, the tomb of Lazarus. And what did he say? Lazarus, come out. And he came out of the grave. And it's going to be something similar to that. Um, and another thing, too, is that in the Bible, um, the church, one of the many descriptions of the church is that we are the bride. We are the bride of Jesus. That we are the bride. And in Hebrew culture, in the times of Jesus, in the Hebrew culture, um, in, in the wedding, um, the parents of the two people that were getting married would have come to an agreement. They would come to an agreement about the wedding. And then the groom, after the parents came to an agreement, the groom would go and prepare a place for them. You hear that, ladies? The groom would first go get a good job. He would go get a home. He would go have something to offer, not just his face. Okay? Not just the car. Like, stability. Okay? I'm just preaching to the young people, too. He would go and prepare a place where their family was going to be formed. Then he would come back for his bride, have a big wedding celebration, and then go on to live together. This verse is not in your outlines, but I know you're, you may be familiar with this verse. Look at what John 14, 2 to 3 says. This is Jesus speaking. I am going away to make a place for who? For you. After I go and I make the place for you, I will come back and take you with me. Then you may be where I am. This, this is Jesus saying, hey, I'm coming back for you. And, and, the, and in the rapture, we meet Jesus in the clouds. What's the second thing that's going to happen in the rapture? We will receive immortal bodies. We will receive immortal bodies. Our bodies right now, they're subject to decay. They're subject to sin. They're subject to this world. They have been made to survive in this environment. These bodies are not eternal. Your soul is eternal. And in order to abide where Jesus is, our bodies are going to have to be renewed. Now, this is important, okay? Because I find many Christians believing that in the afterlife, we're going to be spirits. We're not going to be spirits. We're going to have bodies. When Jesus came back from the grave, he wasn't a spirit. He had a body. He ate. People, he even told one of his disciples, touch me. Put your finger through my holes. So, so in fact, let's let Paul tell us about it. 1 Corinthians 15.51, it says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, okay? And, and that gives us a clue because there's a lot of questions that, that, that you're going to have about your glorified body, okay? And I'll try to answer a few of them. Um, he says, we will not all die, but we will all be transformed. And, he, and what Paul is saying here, he's talking about the rapture. When Jesus comes, there's going to be people that, are, that, are, that when Jesus comes, they're going to be alive, and they're going to be the ones to be taken up. So that's why he says not everyone's going to die, Okay? It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will rise to life 
forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. You see the language um, that, that we also saw in 1 Thessalonians about the dead rising first and then those that are alive. And then verse 53 says this. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will what? Never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Now, I want you to notice how soon this is going to happen. He says, in the blinking of an eye, in the blinking of an eye, we are going to be taken up to Jesus and our bodies are going to be transformed. You know what that means? You know what that means? No more death. No more pain. No more cancer. No more migraines. No more dying for loved ones. No more sorrow. Because not only are we going to be in the presence with God, but we are going to have um, glorified bodies. Let me wonder for just a moment. Is it okay? Because, you know, it's, it's okay to wonder as long as you don't get serious about the things you wonder. I think, I think that when we receive our glorified bodies, we're not going to have to deal with diabetes and overweight and all that stuff. I think that when we receive glorified bodies, we're going to be able to do... I'm not, I'm not talking about flying, okay? Don't, 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 don't get that crazy, Okay. I'm not talking about flying. You're going to turn into Superman and shoot laser out of your eyes. But listen, picture the bodies that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden before sin happened. Picture the body that Jesus had at resurrection. And they give us a glimpse of what our glorified bodies are going to be like. I think we're going to be good-looking folks. I think we are. We're going to recognize each other. We're not all going to look the same. You're going to look like you, but you're going to be... I mean, can you, can you picture, ladies, without sinning and guys without sinning, can you picture the way God made Adam and Eve? I bet you there. I mean, Eve was so hot, Adam said, boom. <laughs> well, not that way, but I, I'm using the 2017 version. But Adam said, whoa, mama. Right? And, and, and we don't know what Eve said, but uh, she probably said something similar, right? Because Adam was good looking too. See, there's people that think, no, if I let God give me my mate, he's going to give me someone I'm not attracted to. No. He, he puts the desires in you. He created you. He knows what you like. And he's going to give you what you like and what you need, not just what you like. If you go for yourself, you're going to go for what you like and not always for what you need. But we, at, at, at the rapture, our bodies, our immortal bodies, are going to be transformed. So just the last question, because I'm running out of time. What should I do in the meantime? I told you the first week that we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know. And, and, if, and if anybody tries to tell you, oh, Jesus is coming December 21st. Last night, we, we, we were trying to watch um, 2012, the movie 2012. Have you seen the movie 2012? Um, they talk about that the end of the world was going to happen December 21st, 2012, right? Listen, we don't know. We don't know. So don't make two mistakes, okay? There's two mistakes that people make. One, they believe that kind of stuff. Don't believe that kind of stuff. Oh, Jesus is coming April 5th when the Dodgers play. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. So don't believe that stuff. But here's the other mistake that people make. The other mistake that people make is that they 
not only do not believe that stuff, but they don't take the second coming of Jesus serious. And you can't make any of those two mistakes to believe everything, but also to say, eh, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So what should you do? That's the whole point of the series. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. Every time Jesus spoke about the end of time, he also spoke about the importance of being ready. In fact, you know why Jesus didn't tell us when he was coming back? Because if he told us when, we were, when he was coming back, we would act a fool all that time and then the day before get serious, right? It's got, I remember growing up, um, I, since I'm the oldest, I used to watch my, my brothers and my mom and my parents made me responsible watching my brothers and cleaning the house. And I knew what time they were getting home. <laughs> I knew it. Do you know what we would do? We would act a fool all day, watch movies, eat whatever we wanted. One hour before they came, I whipped my brothers into cleaning the house. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. Get ready, they're coming. Because I didn't want to be in trouble. All right, now that's not the way we need to approach our relationship with Jesus. Okay? Look at what Matthew 24, 44 says. Always be what? Always be ready. You don't know when the Son of Man will come. And let me tell you something. Jesus can come at any time. He really can. He can come today. He can come tomorrow. He can come 10 years from now. He can come two months from now. We don't know. And one of the worst mistakes that we can make as believers is to look at all the signs that are happening and continue to live like Jesus is still centuries away from coming. Because let me tell you something. Either Jesus is coming or you're going to Jesus, but we're going to meet, right? And both of those are uncertain. You don't know. You don't know when either of those are going to happen. Last week, and I'm sorry to keep mentioning the mass shooting, but last week people walked into church thinking we're going to have a great time, then after this we're going to go have lunch, and many of them did not make it out of church. And I'm not saying that to scare you so you don't come to church. I'm telling you that for you to realize, for you to realize that we just don't know. But what we do know is that we can be ready. So there's three things that you can do to be ready. On Wednesdays, we've been talking about this stuff, by the way. We've been talking about what it means to be ready. So I, I want to give you three that I don't think I've mentioned on Wednesday. Number one, the first thing you can do to be ready is receive the forgiveness and love of Jesus. Is receive the forgiveness and love of Jesus. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, if you have not made a commitment to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the most important and primal decision you need to make. And Jesus is not about punishment. It's about his love for us, his love that forgives us, his love that enables us to become all that we can become. Look at what Romans 5, 8 through 9 says. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were what? We're sinners. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. None of us here are good. If you think you're good, you're measuring yourself to somebody worse. Because I guarantee you that if I said, measure your goodness according to Mother Teresa, you are a sinner. <laughs> so listen, the first thing you can do to be ready is get serious with Jesus. Receive his love. 
You know, I've realized that, that as Christians, we've done a really bad job at showing what Jesus is all about. And we've made it about rules. We've made it about stuff you can't do, about stuff, places you can't go. Instead of saying, listen, the love of Christ is so wonderful that I could go there, but his love is so good that I have no desire to go there. Because I understand that there's something better. I mean, I'm free. And by the way, the Bible says that I'm free to do whatever I want. I could go and and get drunk. I could go and get addicted to drugs. But because the love that Jesus has for me is so amazing that it helps me to understand that there's nothing good in that life and that there's actually something better that he has for me. And it's not that I can. It's that his love enables, enables me so I choose not to. So you got to get serious with Jesus. And, and some, of, some of you, you may be putting him off. You may be putting him off when I'm older, when my kids grow up. Uh, you're putting him off when you make more money. You're putting him off when you understand more about it. I, 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 and again, I don't want to alarm you. I just want to get you ready. And, and there's a big reality that we just don't know when Jesus is coming or when we're meeting him. So if you're here today and you have not opened your heart to Jesus, your Lord and Savior, at the end of the message, I'm going to ask you to do it. And if you're here today, you've done that, but you're living a lukewarm life, I'm going to invite you to get serious with him. Because it's also in the book of Revelations that he says that he's going to spit out, he's going to reject those that are lukewarm. And he says, if you're lukewarm, you might as well be cold. Second thing you can do um, in the meantime, if you've already received, received the forgiveness and love of Jesus, you've got to stay pure. You got to stay pure. And when I talk about pure, I'm talking about not contaminating yourself. I'm talking about pleasing God. Okay? 2 Peter 3.14, look at what it says. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for all these things to happen, and Peter there is talking about the end of times, he says, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. In whose sight? God's sight. Listen, if you knew that Jesus was returning next Sunday, wouldn't you deal with your sins this week? If you knew Jesus was returning next Sunday, wouldn't you change your behavior so that you would be an exemplary person? Wouldn't you seek God every day of this week like you haven't done before? Wouldn't you give yourself to prayer and reading the Bible? Wouldn't you apologize to those you've offended? Wouldn't you reconcile with your family? Wouldn't you be generous? Wouldn't you tell people about Christ if you knew he was coming next week? So why not do it? Why not do it? Why not live lives that are pleasing to God? And listen, you don't need me to tell you what is pleasing to God. You know Because you got the Holy Spirit in you. And when you're there gossiping, there's a little nudge inside of you that says, you got to stop being a chismosa. When, when When you're getting off work and you're going into happy hour, you don't need me to tell you not to go because there's a little voice that says, you're wasting your life away in that bar. So how do you get ready? You live lives that please God. And then third, and I think this is very, very important, is that you got to do the work that God has given you. You got to do the work that God has given you. Listen to me. I want you to write that and I want you to look at me. As strongly as I believe the things that I've taught you today, I believe with all of my heart that God created each and one of us 
to be recipients of his love. God created you and I to love us. You believe that with me? But it doesn't stop there. I believe that not only did he create us to be recipients, but also to be vessels of his love. You know what that means? That means that you have a purpose. That means that you can make a difference. That means that your life was meant to be an impact. That your life has significance. God did not create you to be another creature amongst many creatures. God did not create you just to be another, another number. He created you to make a difference. He created you to do something good. He created you with significance. Can I give you two hints how I know that's true about every single one of us in this room? No matter your age, no matter your race, no matter your education, no matter your spiritual level, every single one of us. Number one, okay, how I know your life has meaning, okay, or what your, the meaning about your life is. The first hint is that the purpose that God created you has to do with other people. God did not create you for yourself. He created you so that you could be a vessel of his love. And you have a purpose and you are meant to make a difference and be an impact in the lives of other people. One of the worst things you can do with your life is live for yourself. That is a waste of a life. To live in comfort, to live for my needs, to live for my desires. Because when you die, it is all gone. The Bible says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. You know how you do that? By doing things for other people. God is going to reward us in heaven, not what we did for ourselves. Oh, you, you cut your hair every month. You did your nails every two weeks. Great job. Here's a crown. He's not going to say that. He's going to, oh. You gave up your Disney passes to feed the homeless. Oh, you gave up your nail money to help a single mom. Those are the things he's going to praise us for. And our purpose, our meaning, is connected to other people. Second, your purpose, your meaning, the work that God has given you, is connected to what you have. It's connected to what you have. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you have a creative mind, your purpose is connected to that. If you have a happy personality, your purpose, your meaning is connected to that. If you have money, your purpose is connected to that. If, you have, if you're academically brilliant, your purpose is connected to that. Whatever God gives us, he gives us because that is what we need to do what he created us to do. God doesn't give you money so that you can have a brand new car every year. He gives you money to accomplish the purpose he created you. God doesn't give you uh, uh, championship ladies so that you can boast in those championships, but so that you can use it to do what he created you to do. God doesn't give you a business just so that you can get prideful. No, he gave you a business so that he can accomplish what he created you to do. And let me tell you something. One day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of what we did with what he gave us. Amen. Can I prove that to you? Can I prove everything I've said to you? Because I know it's a lot. Let, let me prove it. Matthew 24, 15 and verse 19. Look at what it says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. 
Your gifts are God's wealth. Your abilities, your possessions are God's wealth. And he's entrusted you with them. And look at what he says. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Each according to... God has given you to do what you're capable of doing. You, you, you got to believe that. You got to believe. God, you gave me this church. It's because you believe I can pastor this church. God, you gave me this business. You believe I can thrive in this business. And we thrive when we are serving others and not just serving ourselves. So he says, each according to his ability. Let's keep reading. Then he went on his journey. Jesus went on his journey. He's, in, he's in the, at the right hand of the Father. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Jesus is coming back to settle an account with us. And he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, let me tell you something. I know you want your life to matter. I know you do. I know you don't just want to go to work and then come to church and then take your kids to Chuck E. Cheese and repeat all that again. I know you don't. You want to be able to go to sleep at night with a sense of satisfaction and wake up every morning with, the, with, with a passion to do something. And that's why the enemy does all he can to distract us, does all he can to derail us, does all he can to, to, to destroy our lives so that we miss out on our purpose. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about purpose. Okay? What you do doesn't save you. What Jesus did saves us. But I'm talking about the reason you were created. And let me tell you, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. If you just choose to say, I am going to live out my purpose, I believe you can change the world. I believe we can change the world. Can I tell you how I know that? Because last Sunday, one man changed our world for negative. One man changed the lives of many families forever in a negative way. And you and I, because greater is he that is with us than he who is against us, you and I, we can change the world for good. But it's not going to happen if we're too self-absorbed, if we're too busy going to Disneyland, if we're too busy uploading, um, updating our, our social medias, if we're too busy trying to look good, instead of being good. You got a purpose. Live it out. Don't waste your life. Because you want to be able to say, when Jesus comes, I did all I could. I did all I could, and I made a difference. You know what's one of the biggest differences you can make? To bring other people with you. But let me tell you something. No matter if you're 60, you still got a purpose. No matter if you're a single mom, you still got a purpose. No matter if you're broke right now, you still got a purpose. No matter if you flunked out of high school, you still got a purpose. No matter who you are, there's significance to your life. I love this quote, simple quote. Today, it's God's gift to us. What we do with it, it's our gift to God. So what are you going to do with today? You're going to become self-absorbed? You're going to think about me, 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 me? I want to challenge you, and I know I've gone over time, but this is good, right? It's okay, right? 
Plus, you got coffee. You can listen a little bit longer. There's a quote. It's a prayer. And I've started praying it for two weeks now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engrave this into our church. And I'm going to ask every one of you guys to pray. We're not going to force you. You know we're not about that. But it's a dangerous prayer. Dangerous prayer that I want to ask you to pray. And it'll, it'll help you achieve your purpose. You ready? Simple prayer. You won't forget it. I promise you. And you can say it anywhere, and you can say it at any time. You ready? Here it is. Tell God, would you love someone through me today? But be open to that. Would you love somebody through me today? Now, I say it's dangerous because I was telling, I was telling people on, on Wednesday, sometimes God is going to want to love somebody through you with a $100 bill. Are you still going to be open for God to love somebody through you? Sometimes God is going to want to love somebody through you when you're laid already somewhere and he says, pull over and give them a hug. Sometimes God is going to want to love somebody through you when you already got a migraine and he puts an annoying person next to you that needs his love. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I believe Jesus loves everybody. And I believe that the thing that our world needs the most is the love of Jesus. And you and I, we found it. Let's not be greeted and share it. Let's not be greeted and reflect it. When you start showing the love of Jesus and when you start letting Jesus love people through you, you're going to find the significance of your life.